1: I am JT, and today, with me, I have a very special guest. I have my man, David Christopher, otherwise known as DC, head coach, pioneer, father extraordinaire, kids coach, superhero, right here, ladies and gentlemen, make him feel welcome, DC.
0: (laughs) Thanks, JT. It's an honor to be on the show, man. I love what you guys do.
1: Now... Part of the reason why I, I want to have this conversation with you here today is just how much I have kind of from afar admired what you do, and then also uh, recently seeing this incredible um, gym that you've built, which we're sitting in right now. Um, but what I thought we'd do just to start off, because uh, a lot of people listening to this, they, they tune in, they, they want to find out different things about um, health and fitness, as well as uh, BJJ-related things, yeah. I wanted to start with you because you you also have your own strength conditioning and, and and your own your own background in in training, as well as obviously you know a lifetime of jujitsu. Maybe you can just like it, it kind of illuminate people like what came first was it jujitsu or was it like health and fitness? Like how did it all start for you? How did you start with jiu-jitsu and then how do you find like your own strength conditioning and all that feeds into you, you and your training?
0: Yeah, that, uh, it's, I guess I started quite young. Um, so I was doing, my brother was really into martial arts long before I was. Uh, I was really into, like, skateboarding and music and stuff like that. So, you know, trying to play in bands and and do a lot of skateboarding. The cool stuff. The cool. I was trying to be cool. Yeah, (laughs) I was trying to be cool. You were cool. Uh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he got me into it probably when I was about 16. I started some Jeet Kune Do lessons um, with him, which is kind of like the original mixed martial arts, Bruce Lee Lee stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, But then it kind of faded out, and I ended up moving to Australia. This is when I was in the States. Uh, So I I did it for maybe six months a year. And I did... Taekwondo and karate as a kid and stuff, but that never stuck. And then when I I moved to Australia, my brother came out probably mm, maybe three or four years after I'd moved to Australia. And again, he was really super into jiu-jitsu at the time. So he kind of like abandoned a lot of the JKD system and went straight pure jiu-jitsu. So the first thing he did when he got out here was he was looking for a jiu-jitsu school. Meantime, the music and skateboarding lifestyle is not the most wholesome. (laughs) No, I was not very healthy at the time—just partying, smoking, drinking, just doing all the dumb stuff. And I was tired of it. And he was a really good influence, so he got me working out to start. Cool. So strength conditioning stuff kind of started then. He's got me, you know, doing some runs around the block, going to the gym, lifting some weights—more kind of standard bodybuilding stuff, you know, machines.
1: How old were you at this kind of point in? Probably about
0: twenty. Yep. Twenty. So it was my introduction into actually t- trying to take care of myself. Um, and so we did that. He, like, basically took me through the ropes because he's been doing that for a long time. And then he introduced me to the guys at Dominance when they were on Swan Street because yep. he was training there. So between, like, music school and skateboarding and, and trying to do my own fitness stuff, we, I would go and hang out at the school. I wasn't really training at the time. Um, and Dave Hart and Cam were, were the guys running it at the time, plus Dave Christic. Um, and there was Murray Ballandin was there as well and a few other like guys that are all now you know amazing black belts but they were really welcoming so they convinced me over time to get on the mat and try it out and i kind of got addicted to it from that point on and it kind of overlapped everything else like i didn't want to go to the gym anymore i just wanted to do jiu jitsu it was so way more fun can you
1: speak to the kind of first jiu jitsu class experience was it like a good thing a bad thing was it memorable or like
0: yeah i think that's why it became it stuck was because I, I got on the mat and I didn't know anything, but they just were, it was like during an open mat type of thing. So like, all right, let's just grapple. So I'd, I'd scrapped a lot as a kid. Yeah. Right. obviously had no punches and kicks, but you got to try and not get submitted. Yeah. So I just, it was just a scramble fest, right? Yep. Me spazzing out, trying to get the guy off of me and then <laughs> yeah, just yeah. getting owned by someone like Murray and just getting crushed. Yeah. And I just, this feeling of hopelessness afterwards, <laughs> like I thought I knew some stuff, but clearly I don't. So either I can, just live with that that I don't know what's going to happen someone's just going to annihilate me or maybe I should figure this stuff out and that's where the bug kind of set and then as you know the more you do it the more it opens up and the more you want more you know yeah you get deeper yeah
1: it becomes addictive oh wow and so if we look at that and that timeline you're doing training you're doing jujitsu for yourself Was that always like a kind of concurrent thing or like you say did you just kind of park gym and training for a while and then it was just all jujitsu like
0: i i still went to the gym to do stuff um i didn't have any like real professional training so i was going to the gym doing again like bodybuilding stuff i'd run the treadmill i'd work out on the machines um just because that's what i thought working out was at the time it wasn't until my brother opened a gym later down the line long story but opened a gym in cincinnati with oh, well. his coach jim kelly and they started getting into uh, what was the the original stages of the Jim Jones oh, phase. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were really into that, which kind of bled into some CrossFit stuff later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing that kind of training, which was way more functional for jiu-jitsu and conditioning. Mm. Um, and I found, I felt the benefits of it versus going to the gym, running on the treadmill and doing the, the I didn't. It didn't seem to have any crossover effect. It didn't translate. It didn't translate very well. But the conditioning stuff and the style of workouts that we were doing with the Jim Jones style and the CrossFit, man, conditioning on the mat—you could feel the difference. So yeah. uh, we started moving in that direction, which started getting me into doing more kettlebell stuff because I often used use the kettlebell stuff. Um, and we had a coach at the time that would take us through similar workouts. He, um, it was a gym called Adrenaline in Cincinnati. And we'd go there every Saturday and Sunday, and we just annihilate ourselves through a process wow. of kettlebell training, sled work. We had a sled on the concrete that we're pulling. Wow. It was brutal. Tough. Um, but all that stuff obviously paid dividends on the mat as well. Uh, and so I got really fascinated over time with kettlebells. Uh, yeah. I started using them a lot more, started researching them a lot more, discovered Pavel and stuff like that, yeah. and then coming back to Australia, so I was doing jiu-jitsu the whole time, I found that stuff effective, um, I got a job teaching kids at Dominance uh, in Melbourne, and during the, I was doing kettlebells on the side all the time, and Andrew Reed was a the coach there, strength yeah. conditioning coach at the yeah, time, yeah. and he saw me working the kettlebells, and he's like, you seem like you, you kind of know some stuff, how about you come up and do a, a class with me, because I kind of know a few things about yeah, kettlebells, yeah. which yeah, does, I yeah. had no idea he was a, like, RKC level to hardcore instructor of it i didn't yeah. know anything about that stuff at the time and so i started doing uh classes with him um and man that that stuff paid a lot of dividends too that was mm. super like doing learning get ups like proper get ups yeah um learning the the ladder format yeah. was really yeah, powerful yeah. uh training sequence um and so he got me all the way up to the point where i could get my own rkc certification awesome which was a brutal course yeah but man i learned a lot it was awesome. really good. Yeah. So that's like a three-day course, and you're lifting for eight hours a day. You're yeah. on the bells eight hours a day, and then they test you at the end.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Savage.
0: Man, it was good, though. And so that that was always my – so then I just moved straight into – that was my favorite format of strength conditioning, conditioning um, was with the kettlebells. And then all of my cardio stuff would basically be through jujitsu. you know? Yeah. And then – yeah. And then so I just kept training – um at dominance for a long time until I got my uh I got my brown I went back to the States and got my brown belt through Jim, the same guy I was training with Justin. They owned the yep. gym together. And then I got my black belt through through Dave.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Looking back at that, like what's that timeline like if you think you started when you're twenty-ish?
0: So it's about twenty and then I got my I got my black belt right before Nolan was born. Um and I think I was at like thirty-one. Right. So yeah. About eleven years. Yeah, it's of yeah. experience. So like feeling out a bunch of different things, different countries, different gyms. So in between all those, it'd be like I was living in Queensland for a little while, training in a few different gyms out there, Uh, Puma, and I tried Axis. And then in the States also, I trained at uh, like a Helsing Gracie school in Columbus. Um, I've I've trained at like AOJ in California. I trained um, in Utah for a while at a Pedro Sauer Academy that Jim was running at the time. So I've, I've been through a lot of different gyms and tried a lot of different things, And was able to kind of funnel what was most effective, at least for me, and and watching during those phases. Because one of the phases in Cincinnati was like they were just opening the gym. So a lot of new people were coming through. So I'm able to kind of observe what's working for people and what's not working for people as far as the strength and conditioning side of things and the jujitsu and the instruction and how people are approaching their training. So 11 years of kind of not only being active in it, but also playing small roles as coach. Yep. Like, keep teaching the kids, yep. uh, running strength and conditioning classes myself during that time. And then, you know, having trained at different places to see different people's coaching styles, teaching styles, yep. uh, and how they approach jiu-jitsu, how they approach strength and conditioning. So I was able to kind of uh, accumulate a lot of knowledge and, and techniques yep. when it comes to coaching styles yep. and kind of be able to have those tools Mm. So that helps you, because everybody, like you, I'm sure you've experienced, everybody learns different. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you can't just be like, this
1: is the way you have to do yeah. it, it
0: doesn't work. That's right. It doesn't work. It's got to be adaptable. Like, yeah. It has to be adaptable.
1: And yeah. so at what point, because obviously um, everybody goes through the jujitsu journey different ways, mm. like were there any injuries along the way? Did you ever have like a real like hell injury or...
0: Nothing terrible. I think the strength and conditioning stuff really helped... I had knee injuries, t- torn meniscus in both knees, lots of strains, LCL strains, ACL strains, um, you know, uh, shoulder problems, neck problems, but nothing that, nothing that sent me under the table, under the knife. Sure. So I was able to use the strength conditioning-based knowledge I had to, when I did get injured, be able to kind of rehab myself back into training. Yep. Um, one of the things about living in the States was you never really wanted to go to... Any to the hospital or or doctors. It was so expensive. Expensive. And if you got if you got injured and you had to go to the hospital, you were gonna get fit with like an eight, nine thousand dollar bill. And it just and the way that you get paid there, like with the work that I was doing, you're getting paid ten dollars an hour, eleven dollars an hour. And that's at like a fine dining restaurant as a chef. Like you're not getting paid much. So that would be everything. That would be everything, it'd be all your training, everything. You'd just be you'd be broke, you know, for one injury. So you just have to figure out how to take care of yourself and hope nothing gets too bad. Yeah, I mm-hmm. guess
1: we, you know, that's the uh, the benefit of having Medicare and yeah. the pharmaceutical benefit scheme and all these things we probably take for granted. Just for all of you out there listening, if you do jujitsu and you don't have some private health insurance, you need to get up on that. <laughs> but but to um... Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me that, like, obviously we go through different stages in mm. the journey. At what point did you say? I want to open my own gym, yeah. and like, where was that in the journey? And then talk me through that. Good question.
0: So um, I was happy at Dominance. Dave was a great coach, and he was an excellent boss. Mm. Uh, he paid me really well, better than I ever thought I would get paid to teach Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I was working a couple jobs at that time as well, so, but I was still on an hourly wage. Mm. So at the end, there was no end to that. You know, only, your body can only take so much through, through the time that you can work. And then my, my partner was pregnant with Nolan. Yes. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm about to be a dad. Yeah. Uh, can I sustain this? And Do I want to sustain this? And is this the environment, like, my lifestyle that I want to have for him? Hmm. And, you know, you, you start... As soon as you, your partner's pregnant, you're going real introverted. You're thinking about all kinds of, yeah. who am I? What's my what's yeah. my purpose as a dad? It go, you go pretty deep. Uh, at least I did. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I can't. I don't want this. I want. I want to be able to do my own thing. I think that I can provide, or what I want for him is a place that is, like a family, a family environment where kids, parents, everybody's welcome um, to train, to do jujitsu. Uh, and, and cultivate that environment for him so he has these type of friends and these type of people in his life that he can rely on. Now, he would have had that at, at Dominance, but it was a very like, very competitive environment. Mm. Like They very much focused on competition, and I didn't want an environment that kind of pressured the kids in any way to do that sort of thing. I'm um, going to kind of take the, sh- the, the, the edge off it a little bit so that they can grow into jiu-jitsu um, safely and without thinking about having to go and like, be super intense about it. Sure. So I, I started thinking about some ideas. I started talking to some of my friends about it. I talked to Dave about it. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about opening my own gym. What do you think? And he gave me some good ideas about where to start. Uh, it's like subleasing and, and gyms and things like that. Um, we found that place. And, and it was like, well, I, I want, again, also having my own business apart from the culture that I wanted to to do was slightly different. But it was something that I could build to the degree that I wanted to or keep mm. it to the size that I wanted to it didn't have to get too big yeah. but you know it was my own to grow as much as I wanted and it wasn't based on just the time that I, I put in there was more I could create jobs for other people and yeah. you know uh, give give Nolan that environment to grow up in and it's been really really successful through that time so that's when I the, the imagery of what I wanted made me and the good friends that I had Dylan and Anthony mm were so supportive of the idea that, like, you can do it. Because yeah. I had my doubts. I'm like, yeah, not, I don't know yeah. if I can do it. I don't have any money. I'm broke. I'm basically working week to week with yeah. the, work, the jobs that I was doing. They're like, no, nah, man, we'll, we'll back you. We'll support you 100%. So having that support, which I'd never really had in my life before, um, and, and with Dave, too, because he was very supportive as well. Man, it just, I was like, this is the first time I feel like I can put myself out there and take the risk. And so I was like, I'm going to do it. Because I don't know if this will ever happen again. No,
1: that's... Uh so much courage man that's it is
0: it's scary starting a business huge no idea you know you build you put it together you know like no one was there from day one as a little tyke just you know we're laying the mats we're putting up all the stuff and you know you open the doors you don't know if it's just going to be tumbleweeds for the (laughs) next six months and no one's going to show up yeah well we were lucky we didn't have an empty class from day one we had people in from the first day we opened wow that was that was yeah Incredible. Very weird. Incredible.
1: Yeah. When was that? When did Academy Jiu-Jitsu start? Uh,
0: 2015, July. July 2015, we, we opened the doors for the first time. Yep. Cool. And then we had, you know, five years of awesome growth and then lockdowns in, in 2020, which kind of us us. So we've been open for seven years now, but basically only five because we've had two years where we've been in and out, not really being able because to kind of COVID. kick back into yeah, momentum because of COVID. Yeah.
1: And so it's. I guess it's interesting to hear how you, uh, speaking about and thinking about jujitsu, because it's coming from that place of being a father, correct? Yeah. Being a dad and thinking about what you want for your son, right? And you also your daughter. Mm. She's a powerhouse. She is. <laughs> <laughs> she's so funny. I. I, you know, I will. I will admit. You know. I. I watch your Instagram a lot just because I'm. I I like to pretend that I would have kids that are like yours and they're they're cool and they train jiu-jitsu. So so I vicariously live through your Instagram, uh, which we all do to a certain extent for various people in our lives and our Instagram. It's true, true. But no, I think it's really cool because the other thing that I guess I've come to know totally third party, because I I believe the first time I met you was at Dominance and I think you were a brown belt and I was a purple belt Mm -hmm. and I was actually coming in to do pro sessions. And that, that time, Dan Kelly and some of the judo guys were coming in Yeah. and Lockie was there, mm. Minnie was there, Gustavo I think Ting, was, was, there. There, Ting was there, like it was a hell session, Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like real brutal, Yeah. Uh, but it was like what I was keen for, mm. and I, I remember always meeting, like meeting and thinking, man, he's such a nice guy, and then whatever, it's all like, we all go on our journeys, but this is just super random. So a client of mine, Vanya, who lives not far from here, she's got this really smart son, like too precocious, too smart. He's three years old. He's, like, telling you stuff about stars and Paw Patrol and vehicles. And, like, you know, he's super chatty. And she's like, oh, do you think I should get him into jiu-jitsu? I'm like, yeah, like, sure. But I'm like, can he sit still? Because he... He came one time to the gym and he's just going crazy while she's doing her session. I'm like, I'm really worried he's going to get hurt. Like, we're in a gym, you know, we're at the Richmond gym. And I was like, it's just barbells and kettlebells. I'm like, he's going to run into something. And she's like, oh, like, he's got a lot of energy. He's kind of hyper. And I'm like, yeah, I actually don't know if that's good for a jiu-jitsu class. Like, he might just drive an instructor crazy. (laughs) But then, like, not long after that, she's like, oh, I um, I went to sign him up for jujitsu. But this academy is like, it's just booked out. They have a waiting list. And I was like, (laughs) holy goodness, where's that? She's like, oh, it's Academy Jiu-Jitsu in Campbell," And I was like, oh, that's DC's gym. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, their their kids' program is amazing. Like, it's worth the wait. You should get up on that. Mm. So... It's interesting that it kind of came back around um, to talk in that way. And also, I'm um, good friends with Kieran yep. Spatiri. Yeah, yeah. Kieran started training with you guys, which is awesome. Yep. And I, I think the thing for me, which I, I consider it to be a real challenge, because I used to teach kids when I did Taekwondo. And I was a kid myself, you know, I was like 14 right. trying to teach other kids. And I can just remember being a kid being like, I just want to kick these kids <laughs> in the head, you know? <laughs> and I mean, it's hard enough to teach. Adults yeah. who are like fully formed can pay attention sometimes, mm. and you know, that's a challenge. Can you just talk me through a little bit about like how, and this might be two separate questions? Yeah, how you being a dad and having your experiences like with your kids, and you know, I think we've talked about this before, like previous conversations over coffee like setting boundaries with kids and stuff like that. And then also how, you know, having taught kids class, add dominance, and now having your own thing, mm. how you have approached teaching jiu-jitsu to children?
0: Yeah, great questions. Um, I think teaching, being a father and teaching jujitsu. I think sometimes teaching jiu-jitsu to kids also helped me understand how to structure things as a father at home as well so i think they both played into each other one because as a father with kids it's just you with two kids when you're teaching jiu-jitsu oh, you've got an army again. of children with <laughs> tons of personality beautiful wonderful amazing personalities on the mat but they're all you have a super energetic kid you've got a super lethargic kid we have kids that are on the spectrum so they need different needs as well so you've got all kinds of different needs on the mat at the same time and you have to try and figure out how can i give them the greatest quality of information, keep it fun, but also keep it disciplined mm. without letting it just run amok.
1: That's, that's a challenge. That's tough, man. That's, that's war sometimes that's, that's going crazy. in there. That's crazy. Yeah. Discipline and fun. It, oof. They're not...
0: It's a fine line to play. Yeah. It's a fine line to play. When they figure out that being disciplined leads to more fun, it becomes a little bit more easy. So, at the early days of running the gym... Um, I learned, look, look, let's take a step back, like I learned how to kind of play Jiu-Jitsu with kids when I was teaching it at, at um, Dominance before I had my own children. So I kind of understood some systems in place. I did some research. I'd, I'd seen how the Gracie guys approached their kids' program, and I kind of utilized some of their games. Uh, and then through the through that as like a foundation, like with any anything, I was able to kind of branch off and create other games and other structures. But I noticed right away that if I created a repetitive environment, which they knew exactly what was expected of them, then they could, when, when we did things that were a little bit different, they were able to process and digest that information. But if we did something different every day, it was too chaotic in their brains, right. and it was just back to play again. Like, oh, we're just, it's a mess. So yep. the environment's a mess, they become a mess, and it all falls apart. But if, like, okay, we line up, This is for, you know this is the drill. If you're not doing this, then we... We have disciplinary or, or things get ta- games get taken away at the end of the class, like, hey, man, you guys li- lined up. That wasn't very great, so no ball game today, okay? But otherwise, we'll have fun anyways, sure. right? And we'll take little things like that out of the game. So they learn to line up, right? They learn that there's, we do the same kind of thing for probably about five days straight. So whatever the technique is, whatever the exercise is, we just rec- create the repetition. And it's a mess at first. It's a disaster most of the time. <laughs> and you have to kind of be at one with the fact that and be, be playful about it and have a laugh about it because if you take it too seriously, it's no fun for anybody, right? Yep. But as long as you keep the repetition, all of a sudden, day two, day three, day four, they start to fall in line. They start to understand. It's sometimes the, the, the energy in the room is dramatically different. Yes. Sometimes they'll come in and it's like, there's just no way you can keep their attention at all. And mm-hmm. other days they come in and, and they're just doing every single thing that you're saying. To a T. And being a father and being an instructor, the father side helped me realize what was going on there. Right. Because kids will, when you create boundaries, they will always test the boundary. Right. It's not like some people would feel like they're being vindictive or they're trying... They're kids trying to figure out the world that they're in. Mm. So they're going to test the boundaries because they want to know if there's consistency. Yeah, It starts at a very early age when they're looking for ob- object permanence. or they're trying to create, you know, like a kid will drop keys off the baby seat. They'll drop the keys off. They'll look to see if it's still there. Mom will pick it up, put it back up, and they'll do it again. Like, yeah. And he's like, why? Are you, I just put it back up. Stop doing that. And they just keep doing it. It's because they want to see if the same thing is going to happen over and over again. To learn that. To learn it. To learn it. Make sure that that's a consistent thing. They're doing the same thing in the gym, mat. They're going to Mm -hmm. test you. They're going to test to see that you're consistent and the environment is consistent. Mm -hmm. And once they get that trust developed, then the learning becomes much easier to give them. But if you keep changing it all the time and not relying and not, you know, putting a little bit of responsibility on them to follow what the structure is, then it all falls apart again. So I learned that pretty quick, one, through being a father, that if I'm like, hey, you can't do that, and then one day I let him push past the boundary, and I'll let it go today, and then all of a sudden now he's doing it every day, it's like, oh, I've lost lost that fight. Right. But I have to like draw the boundary and be like, no, you can't do that. They're, they'll make it upset. They might have a little cry. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just, this is, we can't do this. It's dangerous. You're not allowed to do that. These are the rules in the house. You just can't do that. By the second or third time, there's no more tantrums. They just accept that that's the way it is. Yeah. The same thing applies in the room with kids. Yeah. And once I figured out that and it wasn't like I was being mean.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I'm like, no, I'm actually helping them by making sure that they, they just follow the rules it helped calm me because I would get him really frustrated sometimes like why aren't you doing you know this is what you're supposed to be doing and it gets yeah. you really frustrated and then sometimes you're like you know what screw it just play you know like right. we'll just we'll just make the class play here's a ball game whatever and let it go yeah and then and then it devolves yes but when you're like no this is what we're doing okay you guys can you guys all line up on the wall okay no ball game if you guys keep it up or we're gonna do push ups and then the lesson becomes how to do push ups properly I'm like but well, this is what we're gonna do <laughs> until you guys figure it out then they figure it out yeah. And they're like, I don't want to do push-ups all class. Yeah. And I even had a mom come to me in the early stages when we were developing the culture, which you have to do every time you get a new bunch of students in. And they're like, my kids are complaining. They're just doing lots of push-ups in the class. <laughs> Like, yeah, 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 that's what has to be done for now until they figure out that they can't just be running amok and they need to understand, to learn, to listen to the instructor's orders. Otherwise it becomes dangerous 100%,
1: yeah.
0: and just reminding them of that constantly. So why are we, why is it important to listen to the instructors? Why is it important that you do what we ask you to do? And just reminding them it's a safety issue Yeah. because if you get one of those kids that comes in and their energy's all over the place yeah. and then you start getting him to wrestle oh, and he's yeah. not going to listen when you say stop. you have a problem can hurt a kid yeah Yeah. and they need to know that themselves yeah and so that's when you can begin to help teach them how to temper the energy yes like you know calm down a little bit you're gonna hurt yourself or hurt your partner yeah um and they train that and they get to know themselves a little bit which is so important oh so
1: powerful yeah adults need to learn that too you sometimes get a a grown man yeah supposedly on the outside yeah who hasn't learned those boundaries Mm. and is too rough and doesn't know why everybody doesn't like rolling with them and you're like, <laughs> dude, you're fucking breaking everybody, dude. Yeah, like, yeah. you got to learn to play nice. Like, mm. you're bigger, you're stronger, don't be so rough. Mm. You know, I actually, you know, I had to have this conversation with somebody, I'm, they're not my student, but it's a gym that I train at and I just had to talk to this guy like, dude, you're not, being rougher and rougher mm. doesn't fix this because I'm bigger and stronger than you. Mm. I'm also a black belt and you're a white belt and like, Dude, you've got to learn that, like... Or you have to recognize that, like, going harder is not... It's not getting you the outcome, right? right? That doesn't help things. So, I guess, sorry, I I digress. For you, when when parents come to you and they're like, Oh, Academy, DC, Mm. kids program, so great. How do you know? Like, what is the right age-ish? Like, because obviously there's some caveats around that yeah for a kid to start jujitsu or is it more like a maturity thing that kids need to be able to sit still for five minutes before they can walk in the door like how if someone's asking you should my kid start jujitsu they're say four or five years old yeah how do you answer that so
0: four four or five it is it is child in childhood development there is a Uh, developmental phase within the brain that happens around four or five six um, where they can take in information sit and listen and and process which is why primary school starts around that time yeah because before then that that they can't pick up that kind of information they're better off at a younger age all the way up to about four in my opinion um, just playing at home with dad yeah or mom yeah and just roughhousing with mom or dad yeah um going to the park and playing and, and socializing and things like that. That's that's far more beneficial for their overall progress than taking them to say like a jujitsu class. Yeah. Um, that's basically babysitting because yes. you know, they they're not gonna pick up as much as they can when they're five or six. So Four and a half, again, like you, you have to judge it. Sometimes if I know somebody that has kids in the family and we've already had them, their older brother or sister in the classroom and they've been in and they've watched it and they kind of know what the deal is. Right. Then four years old, I'll take a man a little bit. I'll trial them out. If they seem to be with the process, part of the culture, they've seen it. They understand what they should be doing. So they're easy to pull up like, hey, just don't do that right now. Can you just line up on the wall? And they do it. I'm like, okay, cool. He's fine. Yeah, but if they're like all over the place and just flopping around, just like at, at four, I'm like, just not yet. Yeah. so we our cutoff age for people that we don't know that we haven't met is five. Right, nothing before then. Yes, just because they're coming into a completely new culture and there's so much stimulus. I got to wear this strange uniform. I don't know any of these kids. It's very intimidating. And so they're terrified, and we don't want to have to uh, expose them to that when they're not really kind of mentally, developmentally at that stage yet. When we know for sure, and they might be, but we know for sure when they hit five, they most likely, 98% of the time, will be developmentally ready to take on what we're going to be giving them. Yep. So that's why I think five, so we have a young group, which mm-hmm. is basically five to seven or eight, depending on development, yep. how, how fast they go, how quickly and they pick up the that information. Cubs that's too? the Cubs class. And those are basically teaching the language, Right. What is the what is a guard? What is malware And just yeah. teaching them positions and giving them games so they get proprioception. Yeah. How do I push with my feet? How do I use my hands and my feet? How do I get up? How do I mm. deal with somebody trying to push and pull me like all that stuff, which, you know, they don't even let kids really kind of have contact in school anymore. Yeah. Right. So it's so important that they they get that. Yeah. And then once they've gotten to past the age of, you know, seven or eight again, they click over into another developmental phase where they can now process mentally more complex moves mm. and goals. So you can now start teaching them like, well, when you get a guard pass, you get points. Mm-hmm. And this competition stuff, if we're talking about competition, or if you need to defend yourself against a fight, you can start having more deeper conversations about what jiu is and what it's for. It doesn't have to just be games anymore. Yeah. But that doesn't happen until they reach that seven or eight stage. Before then, you could be saying all this stuff to them, but I promise you, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. <laughs> right. Why is competition important? What, what, what fighting? Like All that yeah. stuff is not really like a full understanding to them. Right. But once they reach eight, nine, they really start to pick up the importance of it and, and what you're trying to provide for them. Right. So it's not a waste of time. Yeah, so I say five is good. Five to seven or eight, mostly just games. Let them learn how to use their body and, and how to play jujitsu, And then past that point, then you can start teaching you know, what, what the, the world of jiu-jitsu is all about yeah. and how it relates to self-defense and, and yeah. combat and, and sport. Yeah, Because nice. they can
1: pick that up better. Amazing, and I guess that's the thing. Like, so how old is uh Nolan now, your son? He's eight, right? Just turned eight on this January, January but 29th. he's He's been living on the mats, yeah, since, he's, since the beginning, right? Yeah, I was
0: literally, you know, feeding him milk on the mats at Domino's <laughs> in between pro classes. Wow. he just
1: lay on the side, yeah, without going into too much. I mean, obviously, like, he's the son of the boss yeah. of the academy, but he's like a super smart kid. Like, I just see, you know, I see him on your Instagram stories, and just, you know, he's funny as hell. <laughs> uh, Chiki, you know, can you see that he is more advanced in his understanding of jiu-jitsu because he's been around it so much? Or is he very much like other kids? Or like, you know, like, how, how does that translate? I mean, it's hard to be objective because he's your son. Correct, yeah, the, yeah. But when you're looking at him mm. next to other kids of a similar age, is he like I a, think, like a bit better? Like, I,
0: think, I think that he has a... One, I definitely think, and I've tried to make it so that he is basically just like kids his age. Yep. When you approach it, I treat him the same as You're everybody You're not trying else. to turn him into the type of trying to no. of <laughs> jiu-jitsu? <laughs> no. I'm not trying to he's force not, him to be better than anybody else. Dalpro, like. I treat him exactly the same as everybody else, yeah. like, And I think what he has that is unique for the level that he's at uh, is a is a casual absorption of jiu-jitsu, and, it, and it's so comfortable for him. Mm. Like some kids, you know... When he's picking up and trying to learn something new in jujitsu, I see him doing it. And if I'm like, like, there are times where I see him doing something weird, I'm like, what are you do- Why are you doing that? You know? And I'll be like, you're supposed to be doing this. And then I, I watch it after a couple of weeks, he'll still be, keep doing it. And I kind of just let him experiment with it. And all of a sudden, I see his game grow. Like, he's right. figuring that out. Yeah, right. I'm just going to play in this realm for a little while. Mm. And then it all of a sudden becomes something that he's using just fluidly in his game without having to think about it. And he's got so many components of his game that he accesses and an awareness of of things that surprised me at times. Because we would show, like, the shoulder throw, right? I'm trying to show, like, uh, Ipan Sayanagi, right? And I'd be like, do the shoulder throw. And he gets mad at me because I'm dad. And I always play that line of coach and dad. He's like, I don't want to do the shoulder throw, dad, because it'll get my back. And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, I understand that threat. You know, yeah. I know that you, that he understands that there's these, there's there's moves and there's consequences behind the moves. So there's these layers of under, not just the technique anymore. Where someone his age at grey belt, they're just doing the moves because I'm.
1: Yeah, I, I think I've got adults in adults class who don't understand. Yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, the risks oh, that they're taking. I'm trying to do this ippon and I'm getting choked. I don't know why. And it's like. <laughs> You're giving them your back, kinda, of, and you're not doing it right. But, yeah, um, and
0: he, so he'll 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 te- he teaches me it sometimes, like about things that he's doing. Like I'll be like, well, "Why are you doing that?" But he understands why he's doing it, which is the thing that you don't get mostly from kids that age. Yeah. He actually can tell me and explain to me why he's trying that thing, and he can, can articulate it. That. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. is it irrationally. It's not like, oh, I just just, uh, I just, just thought, do it. Yeah, I just felt like a good thing to do. But no, he'll explain technically his strategy for why he's doing that thing. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. That's and crazy.
1: Yeah, that's wow. That's really, that's wow. Mm. And your daughter, how old is she? She just turned six. She's a, like, gutsy girl. She's, like, really...
0: She's good now, yeah. She, she loves, she's always been brave. She's yeah. very brave. She's um brave too, yeah. and now she's she's got such a personality about her too, which I'm sure you you've seen. Yes. And getting her in jiu-jitsu was a little bit more challenging than it was Nolan. Like she would do the same thing that Nolan did. I mean, she's been on the mats the same, like since she was born basically. And she would do the warm ups with the kids and play some of the games and she'd always play jujitsu with me. But getting her into the group class was intimidating because she's always been really small. Mm-hmm. Um and so it took a little bit of a fight sometimes between us, uh, uh, a little bit of carrot and the stick. Like, hey, if you do it, I know it's scary, honorable I'm sorry, but like, if you do it, and I promise you'll be okay. Um, you know, I'll I'll take you down. And we'll get some ice cream after. Sure. Those yeah. little things, kind of. Yeah. And then after doing that for you know maybe a month, or two months, she now there's no fight. Yeah. She like wants to. She step. trusts she, it she, it yeah, and yeah. Yeah. She's into it. She might give me a little sigh like, like what are we doing today? We got jujitsu. I'm like, ah. But when she comes in, she's all laughs. She loves it. She gets dressed all by herself. They, that's yeah. another cool thing that they can just put their uniforms on all by themselves and get on the mat, and then yes. they fold them up and put them away. Hey, I know at the class. Mean, <laughs> they can't, can't do that, do that. either. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. But yeah, it's cool to see see her coming more physically confident. Mm. So she can stand her own ground. She mm. wrestles with different kids with no qualms, no fear. Mm. You know, it's all. It's all scared and, and teary at first for a lot of kids like they're just so scared they don't know what's going to happen they're afraid they're going to get hurt and then I love watching the physical confidence develop in them yeah. where they're like oh okay it's cool let's go next kid
1: amazing. and they just
0: don't know but that's the best that's yeah, what I really that's what it's a huge reward yeah. is watching them be scared of any interaction to being confident that they can handle or at least survive any interaction that's yeah. the best
1: amazing yeah all of that is just you know gold and I think the other thing which I'd like to like tap into and just ask you about is like you had you open your own gym. That was a big, big step, and it's it's worked out exceptionally well. Positioning everything, the the community response, amazing. And that is really a testament to your own dedication to this creating culture. Yeah, which is like what we do at Bulletproof. You know, we're trying to create you know, a healthier approach to jujitsu, yeah. so that people can stay in the game because I guess as you know yourself, you know, it's a long play. You get in this thing, you love it but when you go from that white belt and then you're like, I'm a blue belt and I want to be a black belt, it's a hell of a journey. Like it's, for most people, it's 10 years plus. Yeah. It's only the very few who would do it in less. Yeah. Who are pushing really hard. Yeah. But then also you got to ask the question like, do they stay in it for life? Right. Or do they burnout correct. like you know like kit got the black belt very quickly he doesn't really do jiu-jitsu that much anymore for various reasons you Mm. know like maybe he's not the best example but i guess what i wanted to talk about is the investment and you have invested so significantly you had your first gym Mm. and covid i wanted to try and lead into so we're in this beautiful space right here guys you can't see it i'll be putting some videos up on the instagram this amazing converted space here so you were around the corner? Yeah. What was that mat space like when you like what was the meterage? Uh, it was it was probably like usable mat space, maybe like
0: two hundred square meters. Right. Yeah, it was not very big. But it had pylons. And as it had well. a pillar in the middle yeah. and it had weird corners because the bathroom was kind of cutting off part of the mat and the reception had to cut off a corner of the mat. So it was laid out weird. You had like two basic straight strips with a pillar. In the middle, and, they, and then Matt's kind of joined it together. But it was it was not the easiest Matt to to, to utilize, especially yeah. when the classes got crowded with the kids and, and some of the adult classes too. You know, it was like takedowns and stuff were difficult to manage. We had yeah. to come up with different ways to
1: work it. But you mm-hmm. you did work it. We you did worked work it, it really well. <clears throat> yeah, we managed to work it out. And when COVID hit, because a lot of people out there may have experienced this, whether you were here in Australia and I'm I'm I'm, I'm here dc in victoria mm. and so victoria got hit the worst out of everywhere in australia really in terms of lockdowns can you speak to a little bit about how you went from that space to this now glorious amazing space
0: yeah so again we we have an incredible community they were so supportive during the time they knew because we were the as as a gym we're the first to get cut and the last to get open so the certainty of of whether we could survive that storm was completely null, especially at the first lockdowns. We had no idea how much of a drain that was going to be. We were able to negotiate with, luckily, with the landlord. Anthony is is amazing at making sure the back end of the business is really well taken care of, Um, and he's a gum when it comes to being able to communicate well with that sort of stuff. So he got us a good deal with the lease, so we were able to get some of that uh, fifty percent off. So we were able to save some money with a lease that was going to keep draining through the period. Um, a lot of the community uh, offered to keep keep paying, even yep. though we were like, "You guys, nice. don't, yeah, I don't need to." Um, to support us, amazing. And in that time, and we we'd open back up, and obviously we gave them credit for their membership, so that yep. they paid during that time. They got that membership back. But because of the lockdown, so we're in and out. We had savings set aside, luckily. Always save, guys. Please, if you have a business, put money aside. Do not burn that money. Make sure you put it aside. Again, another tip from Anthony that probably saved the whole business during that time. Putting plenty of money aside, don't touch it. Yep. So we had that back up just in case something like this ever happened. I mean, who knew it was going to be a pandemic? Right. Right. So then we get to the, you know, I don't even remember. There's how many lockdowns, six, seven lockdowns. Crazy. And we open up back up after probably two or three and we think, oh, it's got to be done now. We're good. Things start picking back up. We start picking some momentum. Students are coming back. We feel pretty good. So because the place was getting crowded, we started looking for another site. Again, mm-hmm. we were looking before. We're like, I think we can do it. So. We started looking around and then we got locked down again, but we kept looking, and we found this place here. this is a heritage building um, in Camberwell, and the tenants here just left because the lockdowns destroyed them. Mm. It was like a TAFE school, and they couldn't afford it anymore, so they just bailed on the lease altogether. So Anthony, who's a, again a gun at, at dealing with this sort of stuff, came in and talked to the guys and negotiated an incredible deal for us because there were people were desperate at the time so we took the most out of a really bad situation and we tried to capitalize on it in the best way we could for the business mm. so we were able to negotiate a really good lease the so it's the construction stuff was was challenging but we knew people within the industry so that helped us with the cost of getting everything built yeah well. i'll just
1: interject here like you guys can't see it but just so you know um this this building is amazing it's got these really kind of high arching roofs and really wide there's this really nice i mean did you guys put this wall in the middle wall
0: uh the there was a center wall there that we tore down right and this wall was already there but we cut out the doorways
1: yeah the doorways that can be shut off so there's two there's like a main mat in the entrance when you walk in and then to the side there's like large wooden sliding doors and you can off to the side with wall matting and then there's an upstairs area it's like beautifully finished what is super nice about this aspect of being a heritage building, yeah, it's almost like cathedral-esque. Mm, yeah. And you guys might be getting that resonance down the uh, microphone. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, echo. But it, it's so beautiful. And it, you guys have put so much. Because i followed this, as is the way with social media. i was followed you guys, like the renovations. Mm. You guys put the work in, man.
0: Yeah, we had to. Because also they, they closed the, the whole construction industry. We were protesting at the time. So they shut them down. Um, so we had to come in here and basically, hands down, do the work, a lot of the work ourselves. Uh, a student of mine, Scotty, did a tremendous amount of the work. Uh, and then, Shout out, Scotty! Yeah, thanks, Scotty. He's a man. He's so, <laughs> so grateful we have him on the team. Uh, great coach too. Um, and then Dylan and his brother did all the design stuff. Oh. So his brother does some interior design, um, and he, him and his brother, kind of worked out how we were going to lay the place out. Came up with the idea of the sprung floor that we're sitting on now. Um, and, man, it, it just came together magnificently. I can't believe all the little pieces that, that fell in the way. There was a lot of headaches. Don't get me wrong. Trying yeah. to get materials was a nightmare because mm-hmm. everything was held up. It took forever for anything to be delivered. We've spent probably – this is the, probably the smallest mat that we're sitting on now, and we probably had to spend you know, six, seven weeks on this mat alone yeah. with our student base, which is quite big with the kids and adults. So we barely we, – we made it work same way we did it luckily we'd had a small space so we kind of knew how to work small spaces and then when that second mat came in the huge mat, it was just like a gift for everybody, everybody was so stoked when they had it mm, yeah all this room to finally train in they've been training in that little condensed tiny little space for so long it just felt good because we're coming out of lockdown and captivity mm. and then we're coming into a space that was now like open and and huge ceilings and lots of breathing room it just felt like a lot of freedom you know mm. it was it was good everyone was buzzing it was such mm-hmm. a such a nice little reward for
1: all the hard work we put in during that time yeah man i'm so happy for you guys and obviously when i i blow up and go big time and i <laughs> you know i and i you know i have my my army of ninjas i'll be sending them here to <laughs> train at dc to Learn the right ways. Little mini um, yeah. Jugo's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, man, look, I'm, I'm so happy for you and also just so pleased that I, I think about the different people I know in Jiu-Jitsu and I think about certain people. I mean, obviously everyone who stays in Jiu-Jitsu for 10 years plus is a dedicated, hardworking human. There's always suffering. There's always mm, sacrifice yeah. to be able to to do that. Yeah. You give up a lot to be able to keep it up. Yeah. But even more so that you make it your livelihood. Mm. It's not as easy as, oh yeah, when I walk out the academy it's done. There's the cleaning of the mats, there's the bugging running of the books and there's the, the everything, the thought, the love, the passion. So what I want to do right now is I want to acknowledge you, oh, Dave Christopher man. <laughs> because I feel like I know a lot of people in jiu-jitsu and maybe there's people out there who don't know about you mm. and you are a legend. And I see what you do, man, and it is spreading jiu-jitsu culture the right way. So, thank you, my man. Appreciate you and everything you're doing here. If you're in Melbourne and you're going for a bit of road trip, say you've got some kids and you want to come do some jujitsu, <laughs> come here to Campbell come check out uh, Academy Jiu-Jitsu. It's an extraordinary place. Even just to see this place, it's beautiful. I was just saying when I walked in here, to see it in person, it's like... It's probably one of the nicest academies I've ever been in. I've <laughs> been in academies all you. over the world. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a great thing. And um, it's a great thing to be here talking with you, man. Thank you very much. And also, man, I was going to say, is there anything that if you were going to give some advice, just, you know, to, to kind of wrap up, you're a lifetime martial artist and obviously head coach, gym owner. Is there any advice that you would give to, to parents or even just to people who are early in the jiu journey about what will help them with their, with either keeping their kids in the game or keeping themselves in the game. Stop watching Instagram.
0: <laughs> 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 nah, you just. I think. I think one of the biggest things. I think people need to understand that for kids, it needs to stay a recreational activity. Uh, don't push them too hard. There's a lot of competition makes money, so money gets pushed, and people see a lot more competition than they do of what. Jiu-Jitsu actually is, mm. um, which is a form of, of teaching kids how to be strong, resilient, teach them how to be a martial artist, mm. right? Uh, defend themselves, build confidence. There's a lot of layers underneath that people don't – because you, you know, they don't sell that on Instagram. Yeah. It doesn't make money. But it's really important that when you bring your kids to, to the martial arts gym, understand that the coaches there are invested in creating that for the kid. If they want to be a competitor later, that's on them. It's not on us, mm. right? And I think when you're first as an adult coming into Jiu-Jitsu – don't try and leave your expectations out come and listen to the coach and do your very best just to learn what the environment's like educate yourself on the space don't think that you need to become a world champion first just get good at jiu mm-hmm. and then you can think about those things later but a lot of people come in thinking that that's what they're going to do from day one and they got a long long arduous road ahead of them before that point comes which is why like instagram can kind of feed that when you're just scrolling doom scrolling through and all you're seeing is competition footage these are guys that have been doing jujitsu hardcore for an extraordinary amount of time mm. and the techniques they're showing and the things that they're showing are all very unique to what their needs are mm. so it's, it's hard to contextualize that yeah so yeah try to try to just come in remove your expectations do what the coach is doing and do your very best to listen to the coach And if you have questions ask the coach and, and I think that's the best thing that you can do for your kids uh, and for yourself on your journey. Awesome. Thank you, DC. Appreciate you, man. Hey, I appreciate you and everything you guys do, man. Bullproof and everything you guys and all your stuff that you do is amazing and so positive for the community. Right, so
1: uh, thank you. No, thank you. And uh, for any of you out there, if you're trying to get your kids into jujitsu, take away these words of wisdom from, from DC and then do some research in your area. You know, jujitsu is everywhere now and kids classes are available and, you know, uh, definitely it's it's worthwhile. I wish I had jiu-jitsu when I was a little kid, you know. Mm, so um, thank you for listening. Thank you DC. And we'll see you guys. Soon. Thank you. Yeah.